0: What our time then, this morning. Can we return to John's Gospel, chapter 2? We want to look principally at verses 13 uh, to 17. John chapter 2, uh, verses 13 to 17, where we have the incident where Christ cleanses temple. The title I want to give to our meditation this morning is Irreverent Behavior. Irreverent Behavior. One commentator maintained that the incident that we're going to look at could well be described as Christ's second miracle that he performed, We know what his first miracle was, because it tells us there, in verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, when he changed the water into wine. But the commentator maintains that this also is a miracle, because here we have the Lord Jesus Christ, largely unknown at this time, at the very beginning of his public ministry, and he goes into the temple and he challenges the authorities and he comes out unscathed. What was going on here? What was happening in these verses that might help us to understand the context? Well. It was the Passover was about to happen. There were three main feasts in the Jewish religious calendar and the Passover was one of them and that was a feast where they remembered their forefathers and how they were delivered from Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt and God brought them out of Egypt And the night before they came out, they celebrated the Passover, where they killed a lamb, and they put the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, and they ate the lamb. And when the angel of death passed over, or came into the country, and he saw the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, then he passed over that household. And death did not affect them. And here they were remembering that great and wonderful deliverance many, many hundreds of years ago. And it was a very important occasion. So that's the setting. And Jesus went up to this Passover and he goes to the temple. And what does he find in the temple? He finds merchants. He finds animals. He finds bullocks and lambs and doves. There, people were able to gather in what was called the the court of the Gentiles. And there, the Jews were able to buy sacrificial animals and then take them to the priest in order that they might be sacrificed. Now, there was, in some sense, a need for this. What do I mean? Well, the Jews, many of the Jews, might come from a great distance, and some of them might even come from a foreign country. Many Jews had settled out with Israel, and they would come on occasions to the Passover, and it would be highly inconvenient for them to bring their sacrificial animals with them on their long journey. And therefore, it does make sense that There would be provision made for them to buy a sacrificial animal and then take it the short journey to the temple and offer it as a sacrifice. But what Jesus found fault was that this was happening actually in the temple courts. It was happening in the place called the place where the Gentiles meet. And there was a place in the temple for the non-Jews to assemble in order that they might be able to hear more about the God of Israel and begin to follow the God of Israel. But the merchants, and no doubt the high priest and the priests, were in cahoots over this matter. And instead of reserving the court for the Gentiles, they had this place set aside where it was a marketplace. And where the Jews who came a long distance would be able to go to this place and buy sacrificial animals. And the likelihood is that they could only buy their sacrificial animals here. It was a great market. The merchants made money, and you could be well assured that the religious people of the day they would make money off it also. And more than that. There was money changers there. There was people where foreign exchange could interact. Again, there was a a need for this to some extent because the Jews had to pay the temple tax in the current Jewish currency. They couldn't pay it in foreign currency. It had to be according to what was written in the law. And therefore, those Jews who had come from a foreign country would need to change their money into what was current for, to pay the temple tax. But all this was happening in a place that we might say was reserved for evangelism. And the authorities were turning the place that was designated for evangelism into money, into making filthy lucre. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to his father's temple, and remember the temple was a unique place. It replaced the tabernacle, which also was a unique place. But there in the temple, God in some way would be present in the temple. As we have said on another occasion, God is omnipresent. You cannot hide from God, you cannot run away from God. But God condescended in some manner that He would presence Himself. In the temple. And that's why they gathered there to offer their sacrifices in order that they might know and sense the presence of the Living God. And when Jesus went to the temple, this is what he wanted to see. But what did he see? He saw nothing but merchandise. He saw nothing but commerce. He saw nothing but people involved in filthy looker and extending their own ends and lining their own pockets. In other words, what were they doing? They were using religion in order to feather their own nests. Something that is deplorable. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took action. He took action we find it and we shall look upon it later on in verse 15 he made a scourge of small cords he drove all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changer the changers money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves take these things hence make not my father's house and house of merchandise. Well, maybe we're here this morning and maybe we're wondering, has this got any relevance to us in the 21st century here as we're in Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing? Well, friends, I do believe it has a relevance to all of us. remind ourselves of the context the Jews were about to celebrate the Passover. We don't celebrate the Passover. The Passover was a Old Testament sacrament but it has been replaced by the Lord's Supper. They remembered the great deliverance from Egypt, and rightly so. It was a wonderful deliverance. But we are going to gather in the will of God next Lord's Day, and it will be our communion Sabbath. And there we will remember the Lord's death until he comes. And therefore, I do believe this has relevance unto us. Paul speaks about this, and I want to quote one or two verses that would help us to understand where I'm going regarding this sermon. Paul speaks to the Corinthians, and the context of the verses that I'm about to quote is, they had in their assembly a man who had committed fornication, and it was no ordinary fornication. This man had a sexual relationship with his father's wife. He had a relationship with his stepmother. And the Corinthians congregation were tolerating this behaviour. And Paul, as we noticed it when we went through 1 Corinthians, tells them this is not on. You cannot behave like this if you're a Christian. This is not the way to be. You are to avoid fornication. And therefore you are to deal with this individual. And he is to be disciplined. And he's to be disciplined in order that he might repent. And then he would be restored. And it's in that context that he... That he wrote these verses, I'm going to quote from First Corinthians chapter five, verses six to eight. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? He's talking about this individual being allowed to be in the congregation. It's like leaven. There's sin in the congregation, and it's going to affect the whole congregation your glorying is not good. He goes on, purge out therefore the old leaven and ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He's linking the death of Christ to the Passover the Passover ultimately pointed to the great deliverance that the Lord Jesus Christ would bring about by his life and by his death and by his resurrection. And he goes on. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He cites leaven because leaven in the Bible is regarded as sin. It's a type of sin. And what he is saying there is get rid of this sin, and then you'll be able to fully appreciate the Lord's Supper, the Christian feast. And surely that is relevant to every single one of us who seeks to come to the Lord's table in the will of the Lord next Lord's day. We are to remove the leaven of sin that's in our lives, and we are to be confronted with it. This is something that the Old Testament church did before they partook of the Passover. They had to go into their houses And they would remove anything that had leaven in their houses. It was not to be found in their dwelling places when they were going to go to the Passover. Therefore, this passage, I believe, is relevant to us. For we are going to gather and we are going to remember the Lord's death until he comes. And we are urged To look in, to look at our lives, and to be ruthless and get rid of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ had zeal for the house of God. In a very real way, friends, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That's what the Christian is. Christ is in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and therefore we are to be cleansed from sin in order that we might truly benefit and feast on the Lord's Supper. Well then, first of all, I have only two main things that I wish to highlight from this passage. I want us to look at our irreverent behavior. Our church is not a temple. It's not the temple. No Christian place of worship is to be regarded as replacing the temple that was in Jerusalem. That was a unique building. It's gone. It's destroyed. It will never be rebuilt. There's no need for it. And we don't have sacrificing priests We don't have holy places. We don't have furniture that has a typical meaning which spoke of the work of Christ. We have none of that, even though our buildings are set apart for the public worship of God. But they, they are not in any sense like the temple. But we may well come. To the public means of grace. And we may well be ones who do so with behaviour that is unbecoming. What Jesus saw was obvious. It was outward. What did he see? He saw this marketplace in the church, in the temple. It was highly inappropriate. It should not have been there. But friends, you can take things into the house of God, into the public worship of God that should not be there at all. we might be sitting there and we might be thinking, well, the minister's going to talk about other churches that have praise bands and other churches who have music and other churches who have drama and other churches who sing their own hymns and they don't sing the Psalms. And these are things that have been introduced to the public worship God that, of course, are not appropriate, and they don't have a warrant for these kind of things. But I'm not going to dwell upon these things, friends, because we all agree on these matters, and we don't have a problem with these matters. But nevertheless, we might practice purity of worship, and indeed we should do, We should be zealous for the worship of God, and we should practice purity of worship as far and as best as we understand it according to the Word of God. But nevertheless, those who practice purity of worship can often come into the house of God and engage in public worship, and they bring things into that worship that have no place in the worship of God. What am I talking about? Well, let me ask you, what's on your mind As you've come into the house of God today, have you brought the world into the house of God with you today? Ask yourselves, friends, have you truly prepared to come to God's house and under the means of grace today? Or have you brought all the world invisibly with you? What's on your mind? Maybe you're thinking about your dinner. Maybe you're thinking about your work. Maybe you've got a difficult week coming up and this is what's taking up your time and your attention when you're in God's house and you're under his word. Maybe your thoughts are upon your money. Many people's thoughts are upon their money today. We hear it day after day, the cost of living. And maybe this is something that's on your mind even now as you're in God's house. Maybe it's your studies. Maybe you've had a difficult time. Maybe you've got some exams coming up. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe all the study is getting you down. Maybe you brought your studies to the house of God. Maybe it's your home. Maybe there's family difficulties. Maybe there's relationship problems in your home. And you brought all of that into the house of God. What are you going to face tomorrow? Maybe this is what's on your mind. Maybe you brought all your sins with you. Now, of course, this is something that we do. We do bring our sins with us. We come as sinners. We're not saints in the sense that we're perfect. Every single one of us will bring our sins with us. But in another way, In another way we can also bring our sins with us. We can bring our sins in an unrepentant manner. We can bring our sins and not be aware that we're bringing our sins with us. Have you come today full of pride? Pride is a terrible sin That's a sin that brought the devil down. That's a sin that will bring many people down. It's a sin of pride. Maybe you've got pride in in the congregation. Maybe you've got pride in the denomination. Maybe you've got pride in in your confession. Maybe you've got pride in your orthodoxy. Oh, Christian, if you're going to have any pride, you must have pride in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to glory in Him and in Him alone what are you? You're nothing. You're nothing but a skin full of sin. What have we got to be proud about? No reason to be proud. We are to be proud upon what Jesus Christ has done for us by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection. And we praise God for his continual effectual intercession at God's right hand, which will bring us to glory. Friend, if you're full of pride, you need to look up You need to look at the lord jesus christ you need to think about him more you need to meditate upon this person more and more and you need to think less of yourselves and very often we can come to the house of god and we're full of pride oh we need to crucify this maybe it's envy oh you envy this person or you envy that person you envy their status you envy their home you envy maybe their walk in the Lord. Christians can envy Christians. Ministers can envy ministers. One minister sees, does he not? He sees one congregation growing. He sees the Lord blessing the ministry there, and his ministry's not being blessed. He's envious. There is such a thing as ministerial jealousy. deceit. The heart is deceitful above all things. Deceit's not a very nice thing, is it? Christians don't have deceit. The heart is deceitful. Oh, that we would remember this. Hypocrisy, trying to be something we're not. Trying to make on that we're super spiritual, that we're a wonderful Christian, that we're walking the narrow road that leads unto life. We present a good picture of ourselves as we come to the house of God. And when we see one another, oh, everything's well, but it's not so well when we get back home to our closets, if we ever go to our closets. Are we living a lie? These things that I'm mentioning, friends, are native to us. They're there. They're in our fallen human nature. Let us not say that we know nothing about these things. What about us? Are we covetous? Are we seeking more and more of the world's goods? You know, we can covet things that are are meant for us. We're to covet spiritual things, or we're to covet that we might grow in grace, or that we would have spiritual gifts and blessings, we are to covet them, but we're not to covet the things of this world, and maybe today you've come to this house, and what are you thinking about? How much more you can amass? Jealousy. We can be jealous. The Lord is jealous. He's jealous for his own glory. But we can be jealous. You can be jealous. You can come to the house of God. You can sit at the Lord's table and you might be full of jealousy. You're bringing this into the house of God. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Do you look down on people? Do you trust in your own self-righteousness? Do you trust in what you give to the church? Do you trust in what you do? Are you looking to yourself? Or are you relying completely and totally upon Jesus Christ alone? What about bitterness? Bitterness? How many Christians are are bitter? You dare not say a wrong word to them. They fly off the handle. There's a bitterness about some people. What about an unforgiving spirit? You've had a problem with a brother or sister. The problem has in some sense been masked over. It's maybe in the past. You think it's all right, but there's an unforgiving spirit. What does Jesus say? I'm paraphrasing here, but it's in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a problem with your brother, don't go to the altar and offer your gift. Don't think your gift will be acceptable if you have a problem with your brother, and you think you go to the altar and everything's all right. you give your gift. No! Jesus says, first be reconciled to your brother. Do whatever you can in order that you might be reconciled one with another. It may well be that you cannot be reconciled. It's no fault of yours. Maybe the brother will not want to be reconciled with you. But you must do something before your offering will be acceptable. It's the same for coming to the house of God. It's the same for coming to the table. What is communion? It is communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is with his people. And if there is an unforgiving spirit, how can there possibly be communion? How can there be real fellowship? How can you possibly benefit from this ordinance that Christ has given to us in order to feed our souls? Maybe you've got a critical spirit. You know, some people are never, never satisfied, never, never pleased, no matter what happens. It doesn't matter the minister, it doesn't matter the text, it doesn't matter the sermon, it doesn't matter who comes to the pulpit, they're never happy, they're always critical, it's never good as it was before. Does this describe you? Gossiping. We all like to hear a bit of gossip, do we not? We bring even the gossip into the God's house, into the public worship of God. Oh, it's easy to condemn these merchants and these religious people who are lining their pockets. Their sin was obvious. The things that I have been highlighting, friends, are not so obvious. But they'll be there. They'll be there. (laughs) Are you a person that secretly you rejoice when you hear bad news concerning another individual? That's a terrible sin. You hear bad news. You express your sorrow Openly, but inwardly, you take delight. These things that I've highlighted, they're not exhaustive, but it's all irreverent behavior. These are the things that we will bring into God's house. We might not bring all of them every day every time we come, but you will be able to identify with some of these things and I can identify with some of these things. And it's very easy to look at the obvious and point the finger, but friends, we need to look inside. and Maybe we need to consider our behavior as we come to the house of God. Have you come to worship God? Have you come to pray? Have you come to hear and read His Word? Have you come truly to worship God? Or is it a habit? You know, our behavior in the house of God is important. What do you do? We're talking, before we're talking about things that went on in our mind, but what do you actually do in the house of God when you come to public worship? Do you come to sleep? Friends, this is terrible. Let's be clear. What are we doing here? This is the worship of God. This is where God speaks unto us. This is where we come before our Creator, our Lawgiver, our Savior, our Judge. Would you go and sleep if you were called, if you were privileged to go before King Charles? Would you sleep? You wouldn't sleep. You would be there. You would be all attentive. You would listen to every word. It would be a notable occasion. It would be something that you would think about all the days of your life. We're under God. We come to God, we come to His Word. Does your mind wander? We we are to engage in worship. We are to sing our hearts out to the living God. We are to pray fervently before our God. And you might say, well, it's only the minister that prays. Not so. Not so. Not according to the Bible. Yes, the minister will lead in prayer. He will audibly articulate the prayers of the conversation, of the congregation. But we're all praying when the minister prays or whoever leads in public prayer. All of us pray. And all of us are to give our amen, whether verbally or silently, to the prayers offered. It's not a time to sleep. It's not a time to switch off. It's a time that we would get actively involved in the worship of God. What happens when the sermon comes? Is it a time then for us to switch off? This is God's Word. You see, friends. Our behavior can be irreverent. And we're not talking about obvious things like Jesus confronted. We're talking about sins of the mind, sins of the heart, sins of spirit, sins that are invisible, even maybe to ourselves, certainly to others. Secondly, if we've noticed irreverent behavior, briefly I want to notice here we have impeccable behavior. Impeccable behavior. And it's focusing upon what Jesus Christ did. When he cleansed the temple, I shall read the verses again from verses 15 and 16. Notice what he did here. When he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and over through the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house, an house of merchandise. Now we can see the scene here. There's a hive of activity going on here, and Jesus goes into the court He gets some string or some rope or whatever, ties it together, and he upsets everything. Throws out the people, throws out the animals, overturns the tables of the money changers, and he says to those who have doves, take them out of here. Do you notice, friends, that he created a great upheaval, but nothing was lost. Nothing was lost. Nothing was destroyed at all. The money changers would be able to pick up their money and put it back in their bags or pocket. When he drove the animals out and the people out, they would be able to gather their animals again. Nothing was lost. And as you will notice, the doves, well, they didn't fly away because he told the owner simply to take the doves out. They would have been in cages. Here we have someone who displayed tremendous zeal for the house of God. And he was able to exercise his zeal with knowledge. And very often, friends, what happens? We might have a great amount of zeal for the things of God and for the house of God, but we lack knowledge. And very often with our zeal, we can create more havoc than it's worth. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ displays impeccable behavior. Focusing on the glory and the zeal of God, concern for his father's house and his father's reputation, He clears out the rabble. But nothing was lost, nothing was destroyed. Everything could be put, could be put back together again without any problem, any loss, To anyone involved. The impeccable behavior that you and I can exercise when we come to the house of God is that we are to bring with us repentance. Our zeal for the house of God is to consume us with repentance We are to be ones that recognize our sins. Yes, we must come to the house of God as sinners. We may well be saved sinners, that's true. But we're still sinners and we come to the table, we come to the house of God. Every time we come, we come as sinners and we must bring our repentance with us. Where we have a desire for our sins to be brought to our attention... And we want to forsake them. We must come with faith. Faith. What's faith? Faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who has saved, friends, has come to an end of themselves. They realize they're lost. They realize they're dead. They realize they're perishing. And they are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and to him alone to save them. He is their only hope. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. As you come into this place here where God's word is proclaimed. We tell you friends because the word of God would tell us that you are to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your eyes off yourself and receive the salvation that's offered in the gospel. Come unto me he says. And have faith in him. Come to the house of God with love. Love. Love for what? Love for a building? No. Love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're to come with. You're to come with joy. Now many people don't uh, line up, if you like, Christianity or religion with joy. They don't really know Christianity. They don't know the joy that Christianity brings to our soul. They don't know the joy that Jesus Christ brings. Friend, if you're a Christian, you come to the house of God with impeccable behavior, and you come with joy. Joy in this one who has come from heaven to seek and to save that, was that which was lost. Is that not something that would gender joy in your heart that you were lost and you were saved by the Lord Jesus Christ? And you come with reverence, with the fear of God. Not, not, not not that fear that fri- that's frightened of God, not that fear that fears God because He's going to punish you. No, that's not the fear of the Christian. The fear that the Christian has of God is our reverence. He comes before a holy God, and he's full of awe and adoration for this great God who has saved him. That's the behavior that we're to bring when we come to the house of God amen may god bless his word to us let us pray.